Heavenly Father, we thank you for gathering us together today. Lord, we have gathered here to hear from you, to receive from you, and to glorify and to honor your name. So Heavenly Father, as we come before your word today, I pray that you would speak to our hearts and to our minds. I pray that through gathering around your word today that we would be transformed. That we would be transformed by your Holy Spirit to go as your faithful people into our community. To live as faithful citizens of your kingdom. To live as faithful ambassadors of your kingdom. So we ask for your Holy Spirit now. Come Holy Spirit. Fill our hearts and fill our minds. Give us Heavenly Father what we need today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'd like to welcome you here in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's good to see those gathered with us in the sanctuary. We also welcome those who are joining us through Facebook Live. Thank you for gathering today. I invite you to stand as we read our sermon text today from Romans chapter 13. Romans chapter 13, 1 through 10. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror for good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. When I read the news... When I learn about all the the, the things that are going on within our world today, when I see what's happening in our nation, when I see what's happening in our cities, I wonder who's in charge? Who's in charge? And then on top of that, we wait for election day. And we ask, who's gonna be in charge after election day? Uh, We ask, will we even know who's in charge after election day? Will our Constitution survive? 
What'll happen after the guy that half the country doesn't want elected is elected? Especially in the middle of a pandemic, fatigue over quarantine restrictions, uh, economic problems, racial tensions, and political division. What's going to happen in our nation? What does the future hold? And who's in charge? Who's in charge through all of it? Well, I have good news for you. God is sovereign. God is sovereign. God is in control. He is on the throne. He is the King of kings and he is the Lord of lords. Moreover, God is sovereign all, over all nations and he's sovereign over all governments. When you read the Bible, when you read especially the, the Old Testament, the prophets, you come to the understanding that, that God is the one who causes the rise and the fall of kings and kingdoms. Ultimately, God causes uh, all things to happen according to his plan and his purpose. And surprisingly, surprisingly, governing authorities are God's servants. Governing authorities are God's servants. Governing authorities are God's unexpected servants. When we look at politicians, when we look at those who are in charge within this political sphere and when we point at them, uh, most of us would probably say that person probably isn't, isn't God's servant. But the scriptures actually tell us that they are God's servants. Governing authorities serve God by providing us with law and order so that we can live peaceful lives. But we need to understand that in all of this, that, that although God is in charge and that he provides governing authorities to provide us so that we can live peaceful lives, these authorities fall short. These authorities are not perfect. Every politician Every government official has a human sinful nature. So these authorities that have been put in place by God to serve God and to serve society are fallible. Now I want you to think about this. Paul is writing to the Romans. Who is the emperor as Paul writes? Who is the emperor during the time that Paul wrote this letter? Nero was in charge. And if you know anything about Nero, you know that Nero was a sick and evil man. Yet in the midst of that political uh, difficulty, Paul wrote to the Romans and told them to be subject to the governing authorities. Be subject to the governing authorities. So for us, it doesn't matter who's in charge. It doesn't matter who the president is. Did you know that we can stand up and be the church under any government? We can stand up and we can be the church under any government. The mission of the gospel is not dependent upon government. Did you know that the church actually oftentimes experiences rapid growth and, and renewal under persecution? Churches are growing like crazy in places like China. 
where it's illegal for churches to gather unless they're sanctioned by the government. Could it be that that God allows oppressive governments as a means for the church to rise and to be the church under political restriction? Could it be that Jesus is saying, I am the King of kings and the Lord of lords. My church is going to prevail and rise and be a powerful force in this earth even when every earthly government comes against her. So we as as Christians, how should we view government and governing authorities? How should we view government and governing authorities? Well, how should we view it? Three things. Governments uh, should be respected. Government should be respected, but not worshipped. We are to respect the governing authorities, but we are not to worship them. So, so in other words, don't, don't turn the song, I'm proud to be an American, where at least I know I'm free. I like that song. I love that song when it's sung on the 4th of July. But don't turn that into, into a, a worship anthem. It's good to love your country, but don't worship the American ideal. So government should be respected, but not worshipped. Also understand this. How should we view government and governing authorities? Well, government will never save us from sin and judgment. Government cannot save us. On the day of Jesus' return, all earthly governments will be done forever. Did you know that the American flag will not fly in the new Jerusalem? So let's devote ourselves and worship to things that are eternal, not those things that will will fail and ultimately done away with when Jesus comes again in glory. Government can't save us. Only Jesus saves. And then how should we view government? Engage in our civic duties. Engage in your civic responsibilities. In other words, vote. Be a good citizen. But when we engage in in our civic responsibility, let's do it to the glory of God alone. Let's do it to the glory of God alone and for the good of all people. So each and every one of us, we have an opportunity to enter into the voting booth and we have an opportunity to fulfill our civic responsibilities. So let's do that to the glory of God and for the good of our neighbor. So we are to obey the governing authorities, knowing that they are God's servants, unusual servants, but God's servants nonetheless. So this raises another question. If we're to respect the government and be involved uh, within our communities to take on our civic responsibility, what should we do when commanded by the government to sin? Or how should we respond to sinful laws that are passed? I think there's an answer for us in Acts chapter 4. In Acts chapter 4, I believe that there is an answer for us. So let's say the governing authorities command us to do something that is forbidden by God. If you have your Bibles with you, please turn to Acts chapter 4, verses 19 through 20. In Acts chapter 4, the authorities commanded the apostles to no longer preach or teach in the name of Jesus. 
So imagine if that happened to us. The government came to Maple Park Church and they demanded that we no longer preach or teach in the name of Jesus. This isn't a far-fetched idea. This is what many nations, or many churches and many nations are experiencing today. They cannot preach the gospel. So this happened to the apostles. The authorities commanded the apostles. You can no longer preach in the, or teach in the name of Jesus. How did the apostle Peter and John respond to the authorities? Acts chapter 4, 19. But Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. And then verse 20. For we cannot speak of what we have seen and heard. In verse 23. When they were released, when the governing authorities released them, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord. You see, they acknowledge that God ultimately is in control. Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. Who through the mouth of your father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why do the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel. So the authorities were against Jesus. Look at verse 28. To do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. So here you have these leaders, Herod and Pontius Pilate. God is sovereign over governing authorities. He was sovereign over these men who had handed Jesus over to be crucified. Verse 29. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. While you stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and continued to speak of the word of God, speak the word of God with all, with boldness. When the authorities commanded them to disobey, they kept preaching in the name of Jesus. Eventually, the authorities had all the faithful apostles killed. Did you know that? All of the faithful apostles were killed, with the exception of John, but he was exiled to the island of Patmos. Yet when the authorities had killed every church leader, the church still marched on victorious. The gospel prevailed. The kingdom of God expanded. You see, even hell itself will not prevail against the church. So don't forget that Romans 13 was written within the context of government hostility that the Apostle Paul, and that's the time when the Apostle Paul instructed the Romans to be subject to the authorities. 
Paul didn't write under good and faithful rulers. Yet he wrote, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. We obey the laws and tell the law we're commanded to obey violates our faith. When the law violates our faith, we disobey the law to honor God and to honor his word. And this is what many Christians around the world today in restrictive nations are doing. They are disobeying the law to preach the gospel, knowing that they will, that they will face, potentially face persecution and even murder. So we obey the laws, we pay taxes. If we don't obey the laws, we should expect to justly suffer the wrath of our government. In our nation, that means uh, courts, fines, prison, probation, and even capital punishment in certain states. We obey. We obey the government. Is the government always correct in their judgments? Are the courts always right? No. Paul never wrote that the government is infallible. Governments will do wrong. They'll pass unjust laws. They will fight unjust wars. But normally, normally, most broadly speaking, they function for our benefit. So then, uh, how should we live as faithful citizens under imperfect governments? Knowing our government is, is fallible, our government errors in many different ways, um, how should we then live as faithful citizens under an imperfect government? Number one, remember your ultimate citizenship. Remember who you ultimately are a citizen of. Before you're a citizen of an earthly nation, under an earthly government, you're subject to the kingdom of God. In Philippians 3.20, the Apostle Paul reminds us that our citizenship is where? Our citizenship is in heaven. Our citizenship is in heaven. So we should live as faithful citizens under an imperfect government by remembering our ultimate citizenship. That we're ultimately accountable to God that we're ultimately citizens of God's kingdom. And then, number two, keep God number one. Keep God number one in your life. Um, he is the one who actually makes you a, be a better citizen of your earthly nation. You want to be a good citizen of this country? Keep God number one in your life. Make sure that he truly is the king of kings and the lord of lords of your life. And then, to live as a faithful citizen under an imperfect government, live a life of love. Live a life of love for the benefit of your neighbor. See, Paul says in the text today from Romans 13, verse 8, he says, Oh, no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves one another has fulfilled the law. 
For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. You see, as you live as a citizen of God's eternal kingdom, show the love of God to others. Be a faithful representative of God's loving reign to all people. Live a life of love. Did you know that our community doesn't need loud and angry voices? I don't know if you've noticed, but loud and angry voices oftentimes creates more division and more problems. Our community needs the love of God. Our community needs the love of God to be shown forth in the lives of his kingdom people, through the lives of his church. So that means that that we actually need to be involved in our world. We need to be involved in our communities. We need to engage society. If we're going to love our neighbor, that means we have to be engaged in the lives of our neighbors. And I think there are two extremes to avoid. The first is separating ourselves from earthly things. In other words, to to adopt what I would call a monastery mentality. A monastery mentality. Some might believe that those who live in monasteries, those who spend their whole lives dedicated to prayer and meditation upon God are more spiritual than us ordinary people. But this isn't true. Martin Luther actually taught that monks who live that way are less spiritual than ordinary Christians living out their vocation in very ordinary ways. So we engage our world as good and productive citizens in very ordinary ways. We don't adopt a, a monastery mentality where we, or a fortress mentality where we try to, to, to wall the world uh, out from, from us from, and from our lives. The second extreme is, is letting earthly things consume us. So we want to avoid the, the monastery mentality and then we, we do not want earthly things to consume us. That is fashioning an idol out of this world or the things that this world offers us. Jesus said, don't lay up for yourselves Treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. He says, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So we need to be engaged in our community. To to love our neighbors, we have to be engaged. Don't fall into the two extremes. Don't develop a monastery mentality and don't be consumed by the things of this world. You see, God has called us, each and every one of us, to various vocations in our lives. What is your vocation? That is your calling. Your vocation is your calling so that you can engage society. 
We're called to various vocations, ordinary vocations, career, family responsibility. That's a vocation. You have a family. The maintenance of your house and property, that's a vocation. Civic responsibility, that's a calling, that's a vocation. And caring for your neighbors. We're all called by God to be engaged within society. But as we engage society, we're also called to be witnesses to society. And we witness to society in our character of love. We simultaneously are citizens of two governments. Our citizenship is in heaven. And each and every one of us are also citizens of this nation. And the good news in in this is that, that God rules over all of it. He rules in heaven and he rules on earth. We may not understand how all of it works, but God does. And the bottom line, our response as Christian citizens of this nation is that we are called to live a life of love. As citizens ultimately under the reign of God. Why do we live a life of love? And what motivates us to live a life of love? Scriptures tell us this, this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. And that he sent his one and only son as the atoning sacrifice for our sins. This is love, not that we loved God. But that he loved us and sent Jesus as the sacrifice of atonement for our sins. Amazing. Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is the creator of the universe. He's the one who spoke the universe into existence. And he willingly allowed himself, listen, to be arrested by the authorities. To be tried before the authorities. And to be crucified as a criminal by these authorities. Amazing. Jesus, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the creator of the universe, willingly allowed himself to be crucified for your sins under the authorities. And guess who was in control when these authorities unjustly crucified Jesus? Who was in control? You really think that Herod was in control? You really think the chief priests were in control? You think that Pontius Pilate was in control? Jesus was in control the whole time. He could have stopped it at at any moment, but he didn't. Why? It was because of his deep love for you that he willingly went to the cross. 
and shed his blood. You see, the blood of Jesus is the only thing, it is the only thing that has the power to wash away your sin. You come into this place today, I come into this place today, and the first thing that that I understand as I come in here is that I am not worthy because I have sinned. I'm not worthy to stand here and to preach. But through the blood of Jesus Christ, my sins have been washed away. I have been given the very righteousness of Christ as a free gift. When God sees me, he doesn't see my sin, but he sees the holy blood of Jesus. My sins have been removed from me as far as the east is from the west. So far, and so have your sins been removed from you. And it's through his blood, not only that you are cleansed of sin, but that you have become a citizen of God's eternal kingdom. Forgiven, cleansed, you are made holy and righteous, and now you are a citizen of God's eternal kingdom. Today, Know that you are a citizen of a kingdom that has no end. Did you know that this nation will cease to exist? Every nation will cease to exist. Every governing authority one day will bend their knee and they will bow before Jesus Christ. Every single nation upon the earth will come to an end. The USA will not stand for eternity. But Jesus, but Jesus has brought you into a kingdom that has no end. Stand in that reality today. Know who your God is. Know what your God has provided for you. Know that he is in control. Today there's so much uncertainty. What does our nation face? Who's going to be in control after election day? What's going to happen when half the country is angry at the person who was elected? In the midst of everything that's going on, I don't care what side of the aisle you're on, our nation faces uncertain days. So we stand. We stand as citizens of Christ's kingdom. We've been brought into the church. And we know that this church and all faithful churches will continue strong in the power of the Holy Spirit. So we don't know what we'll face in this nation in the coming days, but God does. He's in charge. Stand upon his promises. And let's pray together. Lord, we thank you. We thank you that you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. One day, the the kings and the rulers of every nation throughout history will kneel before you. So, Heavenly Father, in that reality we stand, knowing who we are in you. And help us in these days, today, as we leave this sanctuary, to go serving you. As we go, may we serve you and may we be witnesses to your kingdom. Give us strength, Heavenly Father, to love our neighbors, to serve our neighbors, and to speak of Jesus to our neighbors. It's in your name we pray. Amen.